Today's podcast episode is the second half of our interview with Dr. Anome Scott Umwakpur, the founder of Hyphen Innovations, a firm that develops low-cost, damage-resistant aerospace components. In this half of the interview, we dug deeper into Anome's creative approaches he uses when developing aerospace components, such as embracing resource constraints and failing fast. We also discussed Anome's desire for more young African Americans to pursue degrees in engineering. This is Swarfcast, the show that helps professionals in precision machining excel in their careers. I'm your host, Noah Graff. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. Tell me a little about this. I mean, we talked in the pre-interview about how naturally you, you, you gravitate towards being in the background and being observant versus uh, being a little more active. Tell me a little bit about that. And how do you think that influences what you do? Do you think that that's a positive? I think it's a positive. I like to pay attention to, you know, the way, you know, certain things play out in the background before I make a decision or, you know, make a move. Just take this entrepreneur journey that I'm going on right now. Uh, you know, a lot of people will say, would say, you know, I want to start a business and they jump right into it, you know. Or, you know, they say, I want to start a business. I know exactly what I want to do. I know who my customers are. Great. I'm ready. In my case, I went through this entrepreneur opportunity program. I, you know, shadowed a lot of people. I called a lot of people. I had a lot of mentors. I took a year, you know, essentially a year sabbatical going through the Air Force, understanding all the intricacies kind of sitting in the background and paying attention to how things are done before I actually said, all right, I'm ready to make, you know, make a move and make a decision, which served me well because, uh, you know, I ended up getting out of that. And it seems like, you know, like a lot of people are telling me, you know, like, you know, some of the traction that Hyphen is getting with investors and interest from customers is kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of moving at light speed. And it's like, really not, though. I've kind of been doing this for 17 months or so. <laughs> it's just that I was kind of doing it in the background, paying attention and taking in all the information. So for me, I think that kind of sitting in the background and paying attention and understanding, I mean, it's, it's the same thing with people, right? If you just 
kind of jumped into it and, you know, major, you know, you know, decided that she knew exactly, you know, what this person was thinking and what this person said without actually sitting back and listening and paying attention to what they were saying. It's like, you know, you're, you're probably going to make a mistake or make a misstep versus if you just kind of sit back, pay attention, understand, listen. Yeah, no, the listening is very, it seems like you're a really good listener. I mean, my counterpoint to that would be that there is something to the fake it till you make it. You have to try. Uh, yeah. If you, I mean, for instance, if you were learning how to play basketball and you were, you know, watching somebody steal the ball, like you're not going to learn how to steal it no. until you go and people can, you can watch as many times as you want, right? Yeah. And read about it. So what I see in you is uh, a patience that a lot of people don't have, you know, they just want to go into it. And, and, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for that as well. Tell me a little bit about uh, another thing with, with art, I think, is not being afraid to fail. Or as you said, you said failing fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what Rick Rubin said in this book. And I was like, wow, it's the same thing. So talk about failing fast. This is another principle we could talk about. Yeah, uh, you know, failure is an option as long as you learn something from it. Mm. People always, you know, oh, failure is not an option. It's kind of an option, you know, as long as you learn something from it, you know. And also define failure, right? Like it's, you know, did I fail for this month? Did I fail for life? <laughs> like what what are we talking about here? Uh, so for me, like, you know, you know, with uh, with kind of you know doing this you know, research that I'm doing and getting an understanding. And this kind of goes back to the whole, you know, jumping right into it and you know, watching someone steal a basketball is different than you going out there and trying to steal a basketball. There's a happy uh, medium between being able to sit back and observe and actually jump in. You, you have to know you have to know what point you jump in. Like, you know, it's like, you no, know, double dutch. You got to know when the right time is to jump in. And so with research, the right time to jump in for me is when I understand what I'm going to learn if the worst case scenario happens. So if I'm working on something and I go through the analysis and I say, this is the worst thing that could happen. When it, if, if it fails, this is the worst thing that could happen. I ask myself, what will I learn when this happens? If this thing happens, what will I learn? If I decide that what I'm going to learn is going to help me. Then it's, it's not even failure, really. It's just a prediction. It's not failure. It just didn't no, no, completely succeed like I wanted it to. But it is that, like, if you get something from it, you are still taking steps forward. Yes. So the, the fail fast uh, mentality is essentially, all right, if I fail, what am I going to learn from it? And this thing that I learned from it, will it help me make this part again, run it again, and go a little further than I was just now? And if the answer is check, 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 then move forward. And so you just keep going. You, you, you go fast, you fail, you learn something, you make it better, you go fast again. Interesting. You know, it, it, to me, things that I've been working on in my own self-development, I talk a lot about serendipity. It sounds like that's what you're all about with, with R&D, you know? How can this one little thing inspire the next thing? 
Can you give me an example of serendipity uh, that you encountered recently, um, either on a micro level or even on a macro level with like your life? Serendipity. Uh, so, so one situation of uh, serendipity is, you know, um, so I've I've got you know investors who've uh, you know invested in me. And, That's impressive. Uh, taking time to believe in what, what I'm doing. And uh, and we had a plan moving forward, which was to move into a facility, renovate the facility, get it get it ready for uh, staying in there. And uh, and it turned out that it was going to take a lot of renovation and I had been working from home. And so there just so happened, one of the investors just so happened to have some space. You know, I was like, well, just go to that space for, you know, just to clear your mind so that you're getting work done and you're not too distracted. So I went into the space and And you liked you like to work alone. I like to work alone at times. Okay. Uh, I, I, I do like a collaborative environment, but there are some times that I need to I need to clear mind to work. All right, get back to the story. So you go oh. into the room. So I go into the room and, and I. It's start, my fault. I interrupted yeah, you. You're good. <laughs> I go into the room. I start working and uh, and I look around and I'm like, well, this place doesn't need any renovation. I go out to the shop floor. I'm like, this place has all the power that I need when I eventually buy equipment. And then I, you know, started thinking because the place I was going to renovate was only like a two year, like I had a two year window of renovation. Because I'm telling myself, you know, thinking optimistically. Like, I'm going to grow in two years, and I'm going to outgrow this place. I'm going to need a new place. Well, if that's still the same mentality, you know, this you know, new place that I'm at was only, like, only had, like, two more years on the lease. And I thought, well, what if I just stay here? I can just plug right into all this power. I just needed a quiet place. Ended up turning up to be the perfect place for me to start working. That is true serendipity. You get it. Nobody had plans about this place. Nobody thought about it. And, you know, it's my, you know, new address. <laughs> That's fantastic. So. Um, a couple other points. So, you know, another artistic thing we talked about, working with limited resources. This is kind of part of your mission, isn't it? Your company? Yeah, right. Um, and that's, you know, it's kind of the nature of you know, growing up, how I grew up limited resources, you know, it was, you know, in high school, like, I don't remember what year, but my dad stopped buying me school clothes after a while because all I did was wear my basketball and track sweats. <laughs> I wear my buddy and I was like, I'm going to practice after school. Why am I, why am I going to get dressed? I'm just wearing my basketball, my jersey <laughs> and it was sweatpants. And so it was just kind of like, you know, just this mentality of like, you know, m this minimalist mentality. Oh, you of, thought you were you Albert know. Einstein wearing the same clothes every <laughs> single day? Yeah. And so, you know, and that kind of trend, you know, translated into some of the research that I did where, you know, someone would say, oh, it's going to cost this much to do it. I was like, eh, we got some scrap, you know, metal in the back. We can whip some things together with, you know, with some uh, uh, C clamps. We're good. And that en that energizes you, doesn't it? It does. It, I mean, finding, you know, being cost effective, you know, when someone else says it's going to cost $100,000 to do something, I'm like, oh, no, we've got... You got enough scraps around here to make it five thousand dollars, you know, like that that certainly energizes me. Which is why like you know, affordability and low cost is like one of the main cruxes of hyphen innovation. And that's what investors and like. So, well, yeah, I mean, it seems like they do. <laughs> 
but yeah, that's 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 one of the that's one of the main things that really drives me is you know being able to be cost effective, being able to look at a system and say I I think I can improve the thrust in that system, but keep the cost the exact same. Yeah, like that's you know, that whole that that is that is exactly what energizes me is that it's just that mentality of being able to uh, reduce costs. Interesting. Do you? like to reflect and think of yourself as an artist or is this just sort of yeah sometimes I go yeah I'm a fine arts guy uh that's that's in the back of your mind or do you ever you're drawing something and or you're coming up with some creative idea and you go yeah that is the fine arts part of Anome's brain a lot of times so like so you're you're you are like reflecting conscious of this it's part of who yes. you are being. It, Interesting. In high school, I know we had this assignment where uh, I think I think we were given like two dissimilar animals. At, so long ago, I don't remember. Two like dissimilar animals where we had to like figure out a way to draw them, like create this new thing with these two dissimilar things. Like it's like a dolphin and a tiger. I you know create a you know dolphin tiger or whatever you know, and like. That same, you know, kind of like exercise in art, sometimes I apply to like, you know, uh, you know, turbine engine. It's like you look at your conventional turbine engine, you have, a, you know, fuel nozzle, you've got you know, a turbine uh, inlet nozzle. And it's like, all right, these are two separate pieces. How do you make them, manufacture them so they're the same piece and significantly reduce weight while improving the efficiency of a combustor. That's the exact same exercise as the exercise that we did in high school with the two dissimilar animals. Yes. It's the exact same thing. You're looking at these two different things that are not together and then you're getting creative and you're bringing them together. That is so interesting. And, you, know, you know, the only difference is that now I have to bring in physics to make it actually work. Do you think that, uh, and this is these are things that I I think about sometimes. Do you think that too many people just label themselves I'm not creative, and they really are if they were only just taught to believe that? You know, it sounds like you discovered fine arts, and you had parents. They didn't exactly necessarily like say, "Oh, you should go and you know be an artist." But at the same time, sounds like they were encouraging to whatever you were doing. Do you feel like that's a problem? There just isn't enough people that that have that confidence, and people are capable of a lot more. Or you think that you you know you're just yeah. gifted? <laughs> Some I, of both. I don't think I'm that much more gifted than anybody else. If I am, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to take away from myself, but I also don't want to, you know, you know put too much onto, on you know, that I'm like better than everybody else. It's not true. I think that people just lack confidence because of whatever is going on in their environment. And, uh, and sometimes it can be as simple as just not seeing yourself in somebody else, not seeing your color in somebody else, not seeing your personality trait in someone else, not seeing your gender in somebody else. It's just... Sometimes it could be just as simple as that. When I was getting done with my PhD, one of the things that I wanted to do was uh, I wanted to be a professor. You did. You, you wanted to be a professor. I did. 
Interesting. Not necessarily because I wanted to teach, but because of what I just said, where you don't see yourself in a lot of people. And I felt like there were a lot of young black people who didn't believe that, you know, becoming an engineer, getting a PhD while being themselves was a thing. And so I was like, you know, my one of my missions was like, I want to be an engineer. I'm going to keep my hair the same way it was. It had long braids. Uh, I wore baggy clothes. I'm going to keep wearing baggy clothes, keep wearing jeans. I'm going to keep wearing Timberlands. And I'm going to teach classes. And people, especially young black men, are going to see themselves in me and say, oh, well, I can be him. That makes total sense. My only question about that is, wouldn't it make more sense to do to teach on like, you know, junior high or high school or something if you wanted to have that effect? Because you're already in college. These people are already, they're certain socioeconomic, they have a certain confidence already. Yes. As far as the impact, the impact would be more on a younger level. But I also witnessed several people drop out of engineering. Yeah. Started taking it. You don't see the, uh, the, the tree through forest. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I, I don't want to do this. I can't do this, you know, and, and then you finish and you're, you're done versus, you know, if somebody actually sees somebody like me teaching classes, that's at least, you know, one data point. I think you're, and like, I, I think you're right because there's so many people that just go to college and they're just, uh, they're going for the piece of paper. They're going because they've been told to go and there's the formula of the meritocracy, you know, like go to the right school, get the piece of paper, go to the grad school, get the right internship, you know? So I get it. You're right that there, there's definitely something to that. And you feel like it would be important, particularly for African-Americans to see that. Yeah. You know, at, you know, back then, 16, 15, 16 years ago, when I, when I looked younger, <laughs> like, uh, I'm, I'm not sure the impact would be the same now. <laughs> uh, you got a little gray hair on your beard, but if you shaved, you know. <laughs> Back then, it was like, you know, I looked young. I was, I was in my 20s. It's like, you know, like, you know, this is something that, you know, uh, that I'd like to do. Just, you know, a lot of it was is based on what you just said, where you just have people who aren't confident that they can do it or haven't been reinforced properly yes. that they can do it or have been told that, oh, you have to be really good at math or you have to be, you know, you know, really good with numbers or you have to be really good at science. It's like, no, you just really have to want to do something to be good at it. You have to want to wake up and when you wake up, want to do that thing. And, and I feel like, you'll be good at it. Hey listeners, I just wanted to remind you that you can see videos of our episodes on YouTube and other social media. So if you want to see a cool tool or part that was described in the interview, or you just want to gaze upon my beautiful face, you can go to the Today's Machining World YouTube channel. You can also link directly to the videos from the episode show notes. And now, back to the show. Well, I, that's strong. Uh, the way I think of it is, it's like, for me, like, I love salsa dancing. I've been doing it for like 20 years. And the way I see it, there are naturals. 
There are natural. And there are people that are like me. I, I consider myself a uh, unnatural. So yes, if yeah. you're really into it yeah. and you want to do it and you try really hard, you can yeah. become between proficient and quite good. You know, it's like um, if you go to basketball, there's people that have a lot of talent. And then there's people mm -hmm. like Kobe Bryant, who had the talent yeah. and worked his ass off. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, yeah, it, it's, I was just going to bring up basketball too. Like there are some guys who in the off season will not pick up a basketball. And when they pick up a basketball, <laughs> Shaq, <laughs> when they pick up a basketball in September, they're still way better than you, no matter how hard you worked, you know, so there are some people who are just way more talented. So that what that brings into play is efficiency, not necessarily good. Interesting. So you can if you if you put your focus to it, you can do a good job. You just you may not be as efficient as the really smart guy who did nothing and showed up to work and just crushed everybody. You like, you know, like it's there's a difference. <laughs> Interesting. I you know, I think about this with sports sometimes. I mean, to get to the major leagues or the NBA or whatever, like everybody there had to be badass. And mm -hmm. yes, you look at certain players and you go, yeah, that guy's lazy, you know, but yeah. you know that at least to get there, he had to be in the gym every day as well. Maybe yeah. not as crazy as some. That's true. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think like, for instance, a player like, like Antoine Walker or something, you know, loved to eat mm -hmm. fried chicken and, you know, like you just, you know, people have reputations as being really good. And if only you'd work harder, but you know that like to get to that level, he had to work his ass off. Um, right. I know we're going off on a tangent um, <laughs> and, and you, you know, you probably got to go soon, but I want to go back a little bit to where you're talking about, you know, minorities, African-Americans. I'm a little opinionated about this because of my background. I Look, I come from a Jewish family, emphasis on education. That said, I went to a high school that was 80% black when I graduated, you know, 80% African-American. And it was a mix of people. It was a mix of black people that their parents had become very successful and they had made it. And then it was other people that were like right out of the city. Um, you know, I was in the southern, southern suburbs of Chicago. And it was really sad. It was, if you were an African-American male, it seemed like it was discouraged to be in honors classes. It seemed like people were pushing each other down in a way. Uh, wh what do you think of that? And this, these are people, you know, look, I understand there's a lot of good uh, rationalizations, you know, like people are in, you know, they're going to a school that it's unsafe. They're going to a school and they have no money. They have to, they don't have time to study. They don't, you know, their parents are on drugs. This was a case of going to school that was safe, that had great teachers, that had plenty of resources, that had plenty of money. And I'm totally stereotyping and you know there were there were some people that didn't exhibit that that path but do you feel that way and do you feel like as somebody whose parents are african that you were on a different wavelength even though you said you weren't in the honors classes do you feel like 
you still had a sort of different encouragement. And I've just asked about 10 different things at the same time. But. No, let's uh, 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 try, to, try to sift through it. But uh, part of the whole wanting to be a professor and wanting to uh, provide that data point that kids could look at and say, hey, that's young black guy with a PhD like that. That's a data point. I can do that. Yeah. Uh, part of that is part of my household as well. You know, just being able. And I think it's I think this part is missed with a lot of non-black people is just having that figure in your presence is significantly different than not having that figure in your presence. Having my dad, who not only has an MD, has a PhD, Mm -hmm. is a medical doctor, is practicing. What did your mom do? The professor. My my mom got a uh, has a PhD in public health. All right. So so both PhDs. So both a lot of emphasis on education. Yeah, without saying it, no, like it, it's you know, uh, a lot of foreign countries, a lot of first generation Americans, especially from Nigeria. It's like it's always like, oh, it's you're going to go to college, you're going to become a doctor, you're going to become a lawyer, you're going to become an engineer. It's like it's a thing that goes without being even said. Is that because the people that are able to make it over here are are some of the best and brightest? I mean, yes. I mean, what's the percentage? Isn't it like 30% of Nigerians that have come into America have gotten advanced degrees? Yeah. Like, it's some insane number. I would have thought like, it would it's, be higher. So it's, it, that's advanced degrees. So I don't know. Maybe some of them got just, you know, a bachelor and <laughs> decided they're done. But like it's just having that in that presence is different. Just having that presence, like I never and at no point did I think that I couldn't go to college, and at no point did I think that there was an alternative to college. What was your like what just, was the demographics like at your high school? It was a high percentage of, of black people, but probably in like the twenties. Uh versus, you know, twenty a lot of twenty twenty like, percent African American? Yeah. Oh, that's not a like, high. You know, that's not a high percentage to me. <laughs> uh, well, well, to you, no. But like in most in most places, inner city, ninety something percent, suburbs, two. It's a huge discrepancy in most places. Like you know, you know, here in Ohio, like the, like there is not there is not that level of mixture. And the reason that there was that level of mixture in my high school is because a lot of us were like first generation. Uh, a lot of us had uh, parents who were professors at Michigan State, so a lot of a lot of us were, you know, like it was very much like a kind of like a melting pot of first generation Africans, you no, know, from somewhere from Africa. Okay, so it wasn't African Americans necessarily; it was Africans. If they were African American, their parents were professors. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was first generation African Americans, but we grew up in a essentially a foreign household. I see. So, Was it a, a middle class to upper middle class high school then? Yeah. Okay. Because yep. it's interesting, you know, you hear Lansing. It sounds like Lansing has just all kinds of different different places. Well, to be clear, I went to school in East Lansing. Okay. I have no idea what the difference is. East Lansing is where Michigan State is? 
Yes, yes, two different cities. East Lansing is different than Lansing. Lansing is the capital of Michigan. East Lansing is the city east of Lansing. Where Where is uh, Magic Johnson from? Lansing. He's from Lansing. So he went. He, he went to Lansing. Uh, Lansing Everett. Okay, interesting. So, you know, a great number of people who listen to this podcast, you know, they're in the precision machining industry. Uh, they're either owners of companies or engineers or, or you know, people who work in the shop. You know, everybody's just like, we need everybody in the trades. The college is a waste of money. You know, it, it's not going to lead to what you really need. You're missing out on, on practicality. You know, look, you're an academic. You're the opposite. You're son of academics, which probably, you know, it's either genetic or learned or both why you became an academic in the end. How do you feel about people on their pulpit saying all this stuff? And I believe that there's something to it. I really do. But at the same time, I believe, you know, it's not, it's not all one-sided. No, to start, I think that a healthy dose of understanding both perspectives is necessary. It's not... A PhD is not for everybody, let's face it. Yeah, a PhD is not for everybody, but learning and going to school and understanding uh, how to strengthen your aptitude is necessary. Whether that's trade Uh, school or, you know... It, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Like it, it's like like for me, like you know, I hire students and I'm working with them. They always they they always doubt their capability and how much they've learned and whether they've learned enough to get a real you know get a job versus these know, are these are intern. undergraduate students or masters undergraduates graduate uh, masters PhD all, and even everyone, they everyone even they it. aren't confident in their every everyone doubts themselves. And I always tell people, I always tell them, you have no idea how little people know when they go to a job. Like you, you can learn for as long as you want. You're going to go to the job and you're not going to know anything. And they're going to have to teach you. The reason that you're going to school is to build your aptitude to learn. Yeah. Like Uh. it's. You know, you're going to you're going to leave school. You're not you're going to you're not going to remember everything from those books. I've got tons of books here that I have to read every day because I don't remember any of the stuff that I learned in school. It's like it's just you're you're being taught how to learn so that when you actually get to your job and they have to teach you, you've built some type of system to be able to retain information. See, I think the thing about you is. The thing about you is, though, you strike me as an incredibly patient person, uh, somebody who listens, who's good with chilling off on their own. <laughs> and not everybody is so patient and not everybody's taught to be a good listener. But I agree with you. I agree with you that I think yeah, it's partly just genetic, unfortunately. I think you are cerebral and you're from two cerebral people. I think that there's <laughs> there is something to that, but I also totally agree there, with you that people just don't have enough confidence in themselves. Yeah, and for me, you know, I feel like you know something like this, something like this podcast, something like my entrepreneurial journey. I feel like it's a data point, hopefully, that people to give should people learn confidence. about. Yeah, 
that, you know, a year and a half ago, I probably would have been reluctant to do something like this, to get on a podcast and, and speak. But uh, now it's kind of like, you know, the, the more I understand how people can be motivated by something I do, it's like, all right, you know, even though this is not an easy uh, thing for, you know, it's not a natural thing, I should say. It's not a natural thing for me to get on the podcast and start talking. But I also understand how this can motivate the next person. I think I'm going to only just going to beat this horse one more time. Uh, you know, my dad, I work with my dad. He he blogs, you know, sometimes he helps on the podcast. He's not afraid to speak his mind and say some controversial things. And as you as you know, I mean, he his neighborhood is probably 90 percent black. It's one of the one of the more wealthy black neighborhoods in the country, but you know, whatever that means. And he wrote a blog yesterday. He was inspired by uh, LeBron breaking the record and said, you know, there's so some of the high schools out here, they're predominantly black and both have spent a lot of money recently building gyms, you know, rather than, I, I don't know. I don't know what that what else they could have spent money on. Maybe they could have spent money on technology or maybe they already have plenty of technology. I don't know. But my dad brought up the fact that he's like, look, I my dad's as big a sports fan as anybody and he he thinks LeBron is fantastic. But he says, is it doing a disservice for African Americans that these are the role models they have? These are the role models that are in the spotlight and so this is what they see as, you know, a path to success. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you think, I mean, it's, you know, it's nothing that LeBron, LeBron, if anything is, I mean, he's very, it's so ironic, you know, he's, he only went to high school yet. He's one of the more well-spoken, seemingly educated people in the NBA. So, you know, and you can't criticize him. But I don't know. Do you feel like, and I don't know what anybody can do about it. Do you feel like it's sort of a pity that the role models, aside from Charles Barkley, of course? Well, the real question is why. <laughs> the real question is why is LeBron the role model? So if you think about, let's just you know look at the dichotomy of coming from two different communities. When you think about uh, role models or influential white people. People talk Jeff Bezos, they talk Elon Musk, they talk wealthy, they talk power, as they should. You know, Larry Page, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, yeah, great. Yeah, they're, I don't know if they're the best role models either, but... I don't know. I don't know if they are, but if you ask kids, they, you know, they're successful and success kind of creates this, like, that's who kids kind of gravitate to because of their success. And if you look at black people, they're all from sports and entertainment. They're all, they're Jay-Z, they're LeBron, they're Oprah, they're Beyonce. And the question is, why? Or they're uh, Bill Cosby, who preached education and, and literacy. <laughs> I mean, he preached education, but he's an entertainer. Yes. So all these 
all black role models are sport and sports and entertainment. And the question becomes why? And the why is, I think, the problem that there's not enough people asking and there's not enough people trying to solve. So uh, so there needs, but it sounds like what you're saying, though, maybe is that there needs to be a black Mark Zuckerberg, even though Mark Zuckerberg shouldn't be, you know, the person to aspire to. At least you're saying if there was a, a billionaire, smart black guy, you know, in the spotlight, that would set a certain example, you know, somebody that was that wasn't Kanye, you know, like it's it's different. Yeah. And 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 you think about where how all these powerful, successful, uh, wealthy individuals got to where they were is uh, either, you know, investment through friends and family or they took over a family business and expanded on it. Who who in particular? Uh, so like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, that's, you know, being you no know, that's friends and family. Right How is there. that friends and family? Uh, God, why am I forgetting? Is, it, is his name uh, Eduardo? S. I can't remember his yeah, name. Yeah, the co-founder. He, he, the, yeah, he had a wealthy connection. So I see what you're saying. It's like so. So so you look at it. It's like all right, friends and family. There's between you no. Know, there's a there's a short degree of separation between friends and family that can kind of help support them. Right. Uh, when you when you look at the black community, when you look at friends and family, by default, their friends and family are mostly black. Well, if the wealth disparity between white people and black people is 10x, then it looks like black people have less support to be able to even become a Mark Zuckerberg. Do you feel like people prejudge you um, in your in your field, in your academic field, being that you're? Yeah. How do you feel like they're they're judging you? Um, I don't. Uh, the thing is, I don't know why they're judging me, and I don't try to pay enough attention to want to know why. Yeah. Because um, sometimes, you know, people could be judging me just because I'm tall. It's like, he's tall. He's probably an athlete or something. You know, how's he here? He can't be smart enough to be here. Or it could be... He's only in this college but, because he's playing basketball. <laughs> yeah. Or it could be the even worse thing where, you know... You know, he's black and he shouldn't be here. Whatever the case is, I don't know. And I don't want to. It's not something that I investigate to try to figure out which it is. But certainly it's happened so much in my life that I kind of just, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and not pay attention to it. Because once you get once you pay attention to it, you get wrapped up into the emotion of it. Yeah, I can but, imagine. Yeah, I I've I've noticed it. In every room, every time I've walked into a classroom where it's like, what is he doing here? You know, every time I walked into a meeting, what is he doing here? It doesn't happen as often. Or he's, now he's brilliant black. and he's black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's uh, now it, it's uh, a lot of people that I work with have known me for a while. So it's a normal thing these days. It's uh, or it's more normal, I should say. But. You know, growing up, college, high school, um, it, everyone just assumes something, and I don't care to. I don't care enough to try to you know, uh, decipher what they assume. Well, Anome, this is a fantastic interview. I'm probably gonna 
make a double interview out of it. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know we did a long pre-interview too, and this is this this kicks ass. So thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, have a good one. Bye. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com.